Welcome, Seven Hatters. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with my ProMash co-founder, Chris Ambarian, and he's my first guest. And what better topic to discuss with your co-founder than co-founders? Should you have a co-founder? If so, what are the two most critical factors that are in your control that will significantly increase the likelihood of a successful and long-term co-founder relationship? Why not just hire talented individuals and keep your precious equity? And finally, the big, big, big question. Should you bring on a friend or a spouse as your co-founder? And find out why Chris said the following. But then we got to the part where we were negotiating the terms of what's going to happen if this goes sideways and the terms of exit and, and the terms of breaking the relationship. And I was like... I was really uncomfortable. I was, you know, in my early 30s and 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 like why we're just getting together. Why are we talking about, you know, all this stuff? He's like, it's easy to get married. What's really hard is getting divorced. Seven Hatters, you won't want to miss this episode. Chris is one of the most interesting and smart people I know. And I'm sure you'll agree. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas what I call Seven Hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your Seven Hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. My guest today is Chris Imbarian, who is my co-founder and chief strategy officer at ProMash. Chris is an alumni of UCLA, one of the top engineering schools in the U.S., where he studied electrical and material science engineering. He spent the first half of his 38-year professional career in the semiconductor industry, working first as an engineer and then quickly moving into marketing, product management, sales, and ultimately strategy and top management. And if that wasn't enough, he also worked in software development tools, market intel, and business consulting, and not surprisingly to those who know him, the nutritional supplement industry, where he became a certified sports nutritionist just for the fun of it. He specializes in marketing strategy and process development for manufacturing companies that sell through distribution networks, and he has held positions of strategic and executive responsibility for organizations ranging from startup to over $1 billion in annual revenues. His other passions include music, travel, environmentalism, martial arts, he's a foodie like I am, and above all, an amazing father. I am proud to call him my friend, so let's get to know him a little bit better. Chris Ambarian, my friend, my co-founder, and the first interview guest on The Seven Hats. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, brother? It's going to be a good show today for all The Seven Hatters. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the new podcast. I'm happy to be number one. I'm number one. I'm very excited because today, if you think about it, Chris and I were speaking about what's the first episode going to be about. And we went back and forth. There's a myriad of different options that we were working through. And I'll tell you something. 
I think today's episode is going to be interesting because it's the story of ProMesh through the lens of the two co-founders. Okay, and we're going to discuss questions like, can you make it without a co-founder? Do you need one in the first place? And probably most importantly, how do you survive with one? Because that's a big question. It's just like a marriage, I think. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'll tell you this. Let's start with the story of who Chris is before we start uh, speaking about co-founders and ProMesh. So I'm sure all the seven hatters would love to hear about the person who completes me. So who is Chris Ambarian? What was the dream before you met me and where your life was turned upside down? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So unless the listeners like really shaggy dog stories, uh, I should probably tell the short, short version of it. So um, I, uh, I, I grew up in Southern California to a, uh, a biracial couple, my mom and my dad. My mom's Chinese, my dad's uh, French, German, Armenian, which is not that big of a deal today. But back in the day, it was, uh, it was pretty groundbreaking. Um, and I, I kind of uh, grew up, shall we say, feeling a little bit of an outsider. But I, I think that just got used in me as grist for the mill of kind of becoming a better, more resilient person, perhaps. But it was it was it was an interesting but challenging childhood, probably like most people's childhoods. But I ended up uh, growing up going to uh, going to uh, college here in Southern California as well at UCLA, where I studied engineering and uh, became an electronic and material science engineer. And uh, yeah, that was really weird. But was that my dream? No. When I was a kid, uh, I had dreams all over the place, uh, but they're temporary little dreams and. You know, being a pilot or being a, a spy or being an astronaut or being a fireman like my dad. But I really didn't have a calling um, for the longest, longest, longest time. I wasn't one of those kids that grew, was, grew up knowing what they wanted to do. And I would say, in fact, that that's probably true today. Like in terms of a role, what's my dream? You know, do I have a dream role? Probably not. But do I have a dream set of activities and skills and, and contribution, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the things that leads into us talking about about ProMash and you know finding finding a co-founder that compliments you because I'm not the dream guy. The other guy on this call is the dream guy. But I'm I'm the person who I I would say makes dreams happen or helps dreams to happen. Yes you do. That's for sure. I want to touch upon your dad a little bit, not now, but in a little bit, because I really want to understand what you took away from your dad and how it helped you. Oh, we're going to need be, a couple of podcasts for that, dude. Perhaps, but you can shoot the shortened <laughs> version, at least in the beginning. So yeah. let's get to, so thank you for letting us know a little bit about you and the entrepreneurs out there and Seven Hatters, you're going to learn a lot about Chris over the the next few months and years because Chris is going to be a common guest on the podcast. We have so many great stories to tell, so many really cool topics to hit upon, and I'm just really excited about it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as time goes on. But let's transition over to co-founders. And let me get back to a question, uh, kind of an overall question that I'd love for you to speak of. So you've led a great life. You had many experiences, especially in the business world. You had your own companies, you ran multi-million dollar divisions. You also spoke a little bit of your dad. 
So I'm going to ask you kind of a general question about business, about co-founders, and hopefully you'll have an answer because it's pretty general, but I, I'd love to hear what you say about this. What do you know for sure when it comes to business? Gosh, what do I know for sure? Okay, so this is this is going to be kind of a squishy answer, but I think as, as I get older um, and wiser, the less I actually know for sure. In fact, it's some weird irony of life, but the more I know, the less I know for sure. And I think I think the way I would I would characterize it is I think if you really get wiser, you don't answer things in yes or no. You don't answer things as black and white because. There is no absolute, but that doesn't mean that there's no truth in life. It's just that the truth doesn't look binary. The truth doesn't look like zeros and ones. It looks like kind of a, a, a spread, a distribution uh, percentages. So you can get like, yeah, here most, the influence is mostly this. Eh, there's a couple of exceptions to it, but here's the main influence, the main principle. And I think to me, that's how life and the universe and business look is what, what is, what is mostly true? Where's the average? How, how reliable is that? What is the, the spread of the distribution and what do you do about the exceptions? So that's a very, that's an odd answer, but I think it's, I think that if the entire world adopted that, the world would be a very different, way better place. So that's what, I, that's what I know about business is not much, but a lot, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll just volunteer up something about that is I'm not sure how much of that I got from my dad at all. My dad was a fireman, fire captain, fire chief, uh, a super accomplished guy, super smart. But one thing I'll say is he didn't teach me a damn lot about business. And he did okay in life. He raised a family. He provided super well for us, but he was not a business person. He missed out on every business opportunity there was. He didn't know how to operate a business or treat money and business like a business person does. And so I didn't really get a lot from him in that regard directly in terms of the, the secrets, the secret knowledge of business. But what I will say is uh, he gave me something much more important, and that is lessons in how to be a human being. And I think that was nothing but beneficial. He taught me how to be a hard ass and how to be disciplined and all that stuff. And he also taught me how you could change and grow as, as you got older and wiser and, and how you could learn new perspectives and actually change yourself. He was the hardest son of a gun you could ever meet when he was younger. My dad raised me when he was in his early 20s. What do you expect? I, I look at, like, thank God I didn't raise my son when, when I was in my early 20s because my son would never have made it. But he did a great job for an early 20s person. And um, But as he got older, he got way more interesting. And he made changes that I, to this day, I, you know, God rest his soul, I, I there's nobody I admire more in the world than my dad. Because he, he, he just got more and more interesting as he got older. You know, I love that. I love what you said about not knowing what you don't know. And for those listening, Chris is one of the smartest guys that I've ever met. But I got to be honest with you, he's always growing. He's always learning. <clears throat> and the fact that he says that he, at this point, doesn't know what he doesn't know and that he thinks that there's always room for growth is what makes him 
a fantastic, fantastic co-founder. Usually the smartest people in the room say that the, the more I know, the more I don't know. And I think that's, that's just absolutely fantastic. So let's dive into co-founders. The question is going to be, will having a co-founder be more valuable than not having a co-founder? Why can't you just hire an executive or a technical expert, right? Because ultimately, why do you need a co-founder in the first place? I know that when I started my first business, I was thinking, you know, it's just part of the game. You need a co-founder and you need someone that's going to compliment you and, and give you um, support, you know, provide support as you grow your business. Yeah. But I never really even thought about the fact that I can do this myself, especially for first-time entrepreneurs, because we're so unsure of ourselves, right? But what do you think? What do you think about... Do we need a co-founder? What are the benefits I, yeah, of not think, having a co-founder? I think that de that depends on the person. You know, I think if it's not your first rodeo, you know, if you're Steve Jobs, you know, it's your first time. That's that's like one in a gazillion. Most of the time, uh, you come in, into this, and you're either so dumb that you think you can do it yourself, or you're smart enough to know that oh man, there's so much to know here, and I really can't do it myself. Um, the thing that you have to have, I think, if you want to try and do it yourself, is you have to have really broad knowledge. I like to joke with you all that, that you know, the, the job of a top executive is to know enough about everything that you can call BS on the people who are really experts in that area and say, I know when the wool's being pulled over my eyes. I know when people are making the tough decisions and, uh, and I know when things are running well. I know what to ask for. So assuming that you're a, an early entrepreneur and you don't know all those things and you don't have all that experience um, and you realize, hey, there's a lot to know here to run a company. Most people don't even know what those things are. But if you do, um, then you probably realize that, you know, you've got some great strengths in some areas, but you don't you, you have shortcomings in other areas. And I think that's the, the criteria number one in answering the question, should I have a co-founder is do I know everything? Am I really hot at everything? And and if your answer is anything but hell yeah, and it's going to be grounded in some reality, then uh, then yeah, you should be entertaining the idea of having a co-founder or co-founders even. You know, I, I've seen a lot of these tech companies; uh, they'll have three co-founders or four co-founders. Um, that can that can it gets exponentially harder to make it work. But that that might make sense. You know, one person has the financial part, one ha person has the people management, one person has all the technology, for example. That might be a good combination. But now you're seeing where we're leading into the second part of the question or the second criterion, I think. And that is uh, the situational part. Why would you need a co-founder? And there's a lot of ways to slice that. But here's, I think, the fastest way is this need, this need for a complimentary person, is it short-term or is it long-term? Like, do I just need somebody to come in and knock that thing out, help me with a particular part of my technology stack? Okay, they come in, they do their job, and then they're gone. You don't want to make that person a founder because running a company and bringing it from nothing to something is a committed effort. It's a marathon run at sprint speed. So, once that person is done with their thing, if they're not needed anymore, then no, they shouldn't be a co-founder, even though you need them at the beginning when you don't have a whole lot of resources. So you have to figure that out and be resourceful about that. But if you are going to need that thing, that skill that that other person has that you don't have on an ongoing basis, then yeah, you probably need a co-founder. 
And that would be, I would say, my two main criteria for it. You know, it's really funny. You mentioned the small population of entrepreneurs who think they know everything, right? And you, may, you meet them all the time. <laughs> I, I, I meet them all the time and they're like, I know everything. Hell yeah. And I tell them, or at least in my mind, I'm like, hell no. <laughs> you don't know everything. <laughs> you don't so, even know what you don't know. You don't know. even know what you don't know. Exactly. So uh, that's, that's awesome. So why not just hire a really smart individual or individuals who can fill those gaps. I mean, it's cheaper than giving away uh, a majority of your equity, don't you think? Yeah, well, so here's, here's I think, the reality of it. Number one, uh, super experts, you know, it, and this is just boldly presumes that you even know what you need the most. You know, you're going to go hire an expert to write a business plan or, or design a website or or you know build a piece of technology or to help you build a sales team or whatever you're going to get into it trust me you're going to get into it and six months later you're going to realize okay yeah that was kind of important then but now i need something else and so if you blow the wad shall we say on some expensive expert person for six months and then you need something else later you know, you've, you've just spent a bunch of money. Now, if you've got a whole mess of money and you really don't care about resources and, and efficiency and all that stuff, well, first of all, I don't think you're going to make it. But second of all, uh, that's going to be a problem for you. So so I think the, the way reality tends to look more is it takes commitment. And so six months later, you need something else and you need somebody who's in it for other reasons than the money and to just do their thing. You need somebody who really like buys into, first of all, the vision of, hey, this is what we're going to go do in the market. They really like, they get excited about that. So excited that six months from now when you need something else and nobody knows how to do it, they're like, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I'll come back to you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go research this. I'm going to go interview some people. I'm going to learn some new stuff. I'm going to bust my head on on the rock of, of ignorance and I'll get it done because we need it in order to succeed. That would be your, your ideal personality you know, profile for somebody that's going to do that. Um, but the second thing, first one was vision. The second thing is they, they got to buy into you and you better buy into them. It's kind of a personal commitment because you're building something together and eventually you're going to be bringing other people in other people with families and mortgages and bills and personal problems and whatever, and they're going to be depending on you. And if you guys don't have that solid commitment to an idea and to each other personally, then you really have no foundation on which you can hang anything else. You want to hear my take on it? Well, it's your podcast. You can (laughs) (laughs) rhetorical question. So here's my take, and I think that was awesome because you're absolutely right. You really, you really need those qualities, um, and and there's a reason for that, right? In terms of why somebody should uh, bring in a co-founder instead of just hiring somebody. Although you're right, if there's a bunch of money out there and you don't want to give up your equity and you think you can hire some good quality talent and trust them, great. I think that's a good opportunity. And, and there are a lot of solopreneurs that have been very successful uh, in in their business career. But here's my take. You kind of have to have balance because most entrepreneurs, most founders, they're the visionaries. They're the dreamers. 
They're in the clouds. I know I am. It took me a decade to just get one foot on the ground because I had both feet and more in the clouds for many, many years, right? And I was, I'm this like ultimate uh, optimist. So what do you need? You need a governor. You need someone who's going to play a role in balancing your shit out and calling you on your shit. Because otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. And you know what? I think the best co-founders are the ones that not only complement each other in their skill sets, meaning that if someone's really good analytical, another one is visionary, yeah. right? That's great. But you need someone that's- But they also keep each other from doing stupid shit. Oh, for <laughs> sure. And there, there were plenty- there were plenty of stories that we can talk about over the, over the the next Absolutely. next few podcasts about you know how we saved each other, Chris and I. But yeah, but really, that's, that's that's a really good point. I would that's so that's a third criterion is is that you guys should should be coming from different ends of the personality behavioral scale so that you you cover all all the bases. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, it's important, and this raises a whole another issue which is how do you manage being truly different and yet you know not kill each other we're going to talk about that you and i had okay, a little bit of good. a discussion beforehand there are two criterias that i believe we agree on on what what you're looking for but we'll we'll talk about that in a second but here the here's the fourth criteria when you hire someone they're never going to be as committed to the person that owns it from the beginning it's that unwavering commitment to the mission. And I'm not saying that with good culture, you can't get a team that is absolutely committed to your vision because Promomash has that team, right? Every single person in Promomash loves the mission, will die for the mission. They're working so hard to make sure that we're successful. But you know what? There's nothing like a co-founder. It's just like a spouse. They're with you every step of the way. They're crying with you, they're laughing with you, they're hurting with you, and that's why it's worth giving out some equity, because that equity is an insurance policy in the fact that you got a partner that's going to walk your path alongside with you and help you through the rough days, because you know what? It's going to be rough. Every single day when you get up, you get punched in the face every single day, especially when you're starting out. And even when you're not, you're an entrepreneur, you know you're going to get punched in the face every single day. You got to get up. It's like that clown, those blow up clowns when you punch them and they just, they fall and they come back up, <laughs> right? That's, that's what you're looking, like that. that's the entrepreneurial roller coaster. That's what you're going through. I would rather than call it an insurance policy. I think it's, it's what's fair. If you know what the road ahead looks like, there's going to be a lot of stuff to do on the road to success. And they're going to be giving their sweat and their blood and life and sacrifices. Gosh knows that Yvonne and I have sacrificed untold things in order to get us to where we are now. And, and I think it's fair. But then also, you know, if this is your baby, if it's your idea, then like that's a big thing to give a piece up of. And you want to you want to make sure going in, like, is this person the kind of person, or is this a person, not the kind? I know this person ideally that I can count on, who's who when they make a commitment is good for that commitment. And are you guys bought into each other well enough that you can offer up something that important? 
and not feel resentful later and not think, oh, you know, I didn't need to do that or I shouldn't have done that or gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. You guys have, have got to both be in so hard that, you know, at any given moment you look over there and you're like, dang, we never would have made it if, if they weren't here. That's awesome. Let me kick it up a couple of notches. What about starting a business with a best friend or a spouse? What do you say about that? <laughs> Here's what I would say about that. And that's a really good question. I think it, it leads right into the, the core issue, which is the same for you and I or, or other co-founders or ideally successful co-founders. And what is that issue? If you're going to work with friends, or spouses, gosh, for 90 plus percent of people, I would say, run away. Don't do it. Because unless you're extraordinarily mature in how you prosecute relationship with other human beings, and how you really, you're super aware and you've developed the kinds of relationships where you're able to trust and you're able to gauge intelligently when to trust and when not to. And even though you trust, you also verify. You put in place kind of agreements and legal documents and stuff like that. And everybody's happy to do that. You know, there's not many relationships where, where it's like that, where, you know, everybody wants to go in and they're like, oh yeah, we have an understanding. You know, like, no, that's not how business works. I, I remember uh, one of my early mentors was the chairman of the board of this large corporation that I worked for. And he was also in charge of external affairs, relationships with other companies, joint ventures, you know, uh, working with uh, with competitors even. And we were working with, at the time, Motorola, a large electronics manufacturer. And I was involved with him in negotiating this massive deal that was a cooperation between our companies. And everything was fine. I kind of you know, was there as a technical business consultant. I was in charge of some of the product lines. And my part on that was easy. But then we got to the part where we were negotiating the terms of what's gonna happen if this goes sideways and the terms of exit and, and the terms of breaking the relationship. And I was like, I was really uncomfortable. I was you know, in my early 30s and, and, and like, why, we're just getting together. Why are we talking about, you know, all this stuff? He's like, it's easy to get married. What's really hard is getting divorced. And you, if the wise person or the wise company negotiates the terms of all that upfront, thinks about it so that everybody knows exactly what they're in for in good times and bad. And they have an agreement and that agreement is binding. And, it actually enhances the relationship, knowing, okay, these are the consequences if I get in and these are the consequences if I get out. And not many people are mature enough to do that up front. And when you get to know somebody and you know that they have that kind of maturity and wisdom about relationships, then yeah, go for it. Let me just repeat something you said because it's profound, okay? It's easy to get married. It's difficult to get a divorce. And there is probably no truer statement that I think the seven hatters should take away from this uh, episode. Because ultimately, guys, gals, 
four out of five businesses fail within the first five years. Okay. 70% of couples get divorced in the United States. Those statistics are not in your favor, guys. So when you're entering into a relationship, uh, within a relationship, so you're in a relationship and now you're going into a new relationship, heed that warning. It's easy and fun to start something because it's all new. There are no issues. There are no worries. You're creating your brand. You're creating your logo, the name. It's all fun. But when you have to find payroll, when you have to figure out how to sell a product that you don't know how to sell yet, when culture fails on you and your team starts acting up, can you negotiate and work with that spouse, friend, or even co-founder? Because that's the true test and the grit of relationships. And so that will pivot into what Chris and I believe is the mindset that you need in order to have a great relationship. And by the way, this is not just for co-founders, guys. This is for any relationship. And so, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but please add, the two most important aspects to a relationship with a co-founder, spouse, etc. Number one is what I call Lego My Ego. And number two was made famous by Stephen Covey, in his seven habits of highly successful people, it was habit number five, which is seek to seek, understand. Seek first to seek, understand. Seek, seek first to understand, be then understood. be understood. Yes. So let's touch upon that. So let go my ego and seek to understand. Give us a little bit of your thoughts on that. Oh, well, uh, again, I could be a world authority on speaking about ego because I have a tremendous one. Uh, mine is a fine example of ego. And, uh, and you know, all joking aside, I think, you know, everybody, we, we have one, it's part of the human design. And you're not going to get rid of it. But, but there, there are two things that I, so I would agree, you know, that is, in, in terms of relationships, especially co-founders, but, but throughout your life, you know, you need to figure out what that is, you need to become aware of it, you need to figure out what to do about it. So I can I can go through the strategy on that, and then the seek first to understand. That's it's very related, but uh, but it's its own distinct distinction. So what I'll say about ego is, you know, your ego is like a system admin. I think it's got access to everything in here, in in your brain, and it has access to all the controls, all the tools that you have, every bit of your intelligence, every bit of your intention, and uh, it has you know if it can wrestle. The, the steering wheel away from everybody else in your brain, then it gets control of the bus. And so you have to be very aware that this is what's going on in there. And, uh, and then realize that the harder you fight it, your ego is craftier than your consciousness, your conscious self. It's going to sneak around and outsmart you. And, it, you know, you think, ah, I finally conquered my old king ego. And then guess what? No, they come around and outflank you. You can't force your way past your ego. The two great analogies that I've heard are, number one, just let it atrophy. Don't give it any extra energy. Just, oh, there you are. Okay, well, thank you for sharing. And uh, no, I'm, I'm just not going to allow you to have control of the bus. Thank you very much. So that would be one approach. Let it, let it just kind of 
not get exercised. And that means not foisting your opinion on other people, not being right and wrong and all that, uh, not uh, puffing your chest out and, and pointing out how good you are at something. It's just, it's a, it's a matter of being humble and letting letting it just kind of die a death. The other, the other really useful analogy I've heard is the one that Yuval talks about, and that is just shed light on it. And the light, you know, this in, in this sense, we're, we're talking about a light within, you know, something more noble than, than the ego. The ego is not a very noble thing. It never is. But there is also a noble you in there as well. And let your noble self and the light that, that you that you have within be more important. Give that energy. And, and as that becomes brighter, it kind of like you know, just casts a really harsh light on the, the ugliness that ego often is. Ego gets us some good things, but at a very, very high cost. It costs us everything else. So those are the two ways that I would approach that. I love when you said humility. It is absolutely what it takes in order to succeed in any relationship. And, you know, the way that the ego works is that it requires the need to be right. And in order to be right, you have to blame everything and everyone outside of yourself. So the ego feels like it's proving a point, like it's right. And so even seeking to understand before being understood is an egoic thing. Because why do I need to know what you think? Why do I need to walk in your shoes? Because what I'm saying is right anyway. So if you can find humility, and I always say when that emotion comes up and there are negative emotions and positive emotions, so when anger and regret and fear come up, the question is not what's causing it and I need to change what's causing it. It's what is it about me that is sensitive to the outside that is causing that emotion within? And when you understand that, then you can address it. Then you can speak with someone. Then you can understand that you're the one that's in control of your emotions, no matter what else, what someone else does to you. So I want to just kind of end with the one thing. Tell us, tell the seven hatters, what is the one thing that they need to think about if they're starting a business, trying to find a co-founder, or maybe have a co-founder, and need to figure it out because they're going through a lot of issues within that relationship. What's that one thing that they need to know? Well, I mean, we talked about a lot of things. You know, you need to have enough self-awareness to to be able to assess whether whether you've got what it takes to to do it by yourself. And if you don't, here's what I would say. It doesn't matter how awesome your idea is. You're just going to pour your heart and your soul and all of your money into doing something that's going to fail. So don't do that. No matter how good your idea is, your top priority should be working on yourself and finding other people who are up to the same thing that that you can have that kind of relationship with. I can tell you from my own experience with having other business ventures and then finally meeting and and embarking on an adventure with Yuval, that it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. There's going to be days when you wake up and you're just like, you know what? I really don't freaking feel like doing this. And if you're by yourself, you're not going to freaking do it. But when you had a co-founder who's as committed as you and counting on you and you're counting on them, you kind of both lift each other up 
and the day you're down, they pick you up and vice versa. And, and that, to me, that's the, the main difference between failure and success. So if there's one thing, I would say make sure that you have the co-founder question sorted out. And if you do, there's a lot of other details that are probably going to come up in, in this podcast series. But that's a main one. And I'll tell you this. I would recommend, if at all possible, to not go into business with your friends. But I will say that if you go into business with someone who compliments you and someone who works well with you, you end up being great friends. And Chris and I, over the past decade, have become amazing friends. I call him my best friend. I don't think he does on his side, but that's okay. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) All I have to say is, Chris, thank you so much for being my first guest, for coming on the Seven Hats podcast, for helping entrepreneurs find success. Because ultimately, there is one one more thing that we didn't speak about, which I think we might just either do in another podcast or maybe we will do a live with it. But it's how working on our seven hats helped us become better oh gosh. co-founders. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. actually a whole podcast. But I'd love to hear uh, more from you seven hatters. So email me, Yuval, Y-U-V-A-L, at the seven hats dot com tell us your story we'd love to hear it and we might even put it up on our live feed Who knows? or even you write about it the seven hats podcast or you might be on the seven hats podcast so for now chris thank you so much i tip my hat off to you and i'm sure we'll have you as a guest uh, very very soon so any parting words awesome well no congratulations on the new podcast i'm really looking forward for all you out there who are listening and those who aren't yet you should be excited because I, I think nothing like this exists. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how many entrepreneurs get better lives and more fulfilling lives out of it because of the tremendous wisdom that is in Yuval's brain and in his heart that is going to be shared over the coming weeks and months. It's not me. It's the guests. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. It's the guests that are going to shine the light and are going to provide the knowledge bombs because I'm just... Here is a, is a vehicle to get you guys in front of the entrepreneurs out there and let's build a great community. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. I sure did have a blast. You know, I'd like to end with a segment I call, here's something to hang your hat on. So here's the takeaway. If you're struggling with your co-founder or are just currently looking to bring one on board, your best chance for a successful relationship will start with finding someone who has very similar values mission and vision as you. Opposites do attract, but to a limit. Try to find someone with the same values, but different skill sets and expertise. And if you already have a co-founder with different values, then your best hope is to first understand where they're coming from. Communication is key. Otherwise, you'll create silos and your relationships could turn sour very quickly. My first co-founder was a perfect example of someone who didn't have the same values, mission or vision as I did, despite having different and useful skill sets. And that relationship was a fucking mess and our company suffered greatly as a result. I can tell you from experience that having a solid relationship with your co-founder will be your saving grace when shit hits the fan, which it will over and over again as you build your companies. So for now, I bid you farewell and most importantly, 
I wish you success on your co-founder journey. Until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat off to you. And one final note, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you got from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. Bye now.